Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning and welcome to NAM Talks. Let's talk inflation, uncertainty, and Ukraine. But before we begin, as always, we welcome any questions that you might have related to today's episode. Please send them to nordeafunds at nordea.com. With that, I welcome Johannes Haurich and Christian Balteo, heads of product management, equity and fixed income, and multi-assets, respectively. Good morning, both. Good morning, Carlo. Good morning, Carlo, and thanks uh, for having us. So, Christian Johannes, let's take a look back at how we began this year. In fact, inflation was the focus of our first NAM talks this year. And that wasn't a surprise given that inflation has been the main source of investors' concerns for more than a year now. Nevertheless, until fairly recently, central banks had assured markets uh, that its resurgence was going to be short-lived as the effects of the pandemic would dwindle, people could go back to the office, value chains would start to recover, and consumption patterns would normalize. And to some extent, that fear... Uh, feared economic uh, overheating, um, hinted by inflation, uh, was somehow good news. Uh, it was supposed to give the monetary authorities that much-needed room to start normalizing their policies, room that would be desperately uh, needed to give them the margin to act in case of another recession were to hit in the global economy at a later stage. Uh, sadly, we know uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine seems to have changed that. And so with that in mind, today we're going to discuss two scenarios. Scenario one, we'll call that conflict stabilization. And in this scenario, we'll see oil and commodity prices staying high on a moderate growth scenario. Peak inflation reached about around H2 2023 and central banks maintaining their stances, but ease faster than currently signaled. In our second scenario, we'll call that conflict worsening. In this scenario, recession kills demand, limiting oil and commodity prices. Peak inflation will be reached around H2 2022 and central banks reverse course and start easing. So let's begin with you, Johannes. What are the implications in scenario one, conflict stabilization? Well, Carlo, on the equity side, we will see a moderate growth scenario. Earnings, which recently came under pressure, will stabilize, although only on a moderate level. Inflation will still be a topic. Hence, investors need to more carefully select those companies which offer some kind of inflation protection. With oil and commodities prices staying at a high level, Focus midterm will be on a green transition, although people realize that short term this might be difficult to achieve given the high dependency on traditional energy. As such, it will be important for companies to find ways to reduce this dependency, either by finding alternatives way of energy or by being more energy efficient in their production. Yeah, certainly, Johannes, you alluded to something that's extremely important, which is obviously that, that climate uh, or that green transition that uh, continues to be extremely important. What are you seeing on the, on the bond side? Here, let's speak about two components, default rates and spread levels. Default rates would stay low and investors might be able to benefit from the recent widening in spread levels. Bond volatility in general will come down a bit, although rising interest rates may still cause a concern for investors. Hence, investments in flexible fixed income solutions will be key to diversify your bond portfolio. That's really interesting, Johannes. So now that we've seen what the implications are, are both for equity uh, and bonds, what would you say are the solutions that we can offer or that clients can look towards in, in this scenario? Let's keep in mind, Carlo, that in this scenario, it is characterized by low growth and modest to high inflation. So investors like to get exposure to equities. However, 
not all asset classes and not all styles within equities will do equally well. Global listed infrastructure companies have distinct investment characteristics that we believe make the asset class a strong complement to investor portfolios. Global infrastructure provides the structures and systems that are essential for society to function. It consists of physical assets that are difficult to replace. Such assets often benefit from monopolies and inelastic demand, which are sources of their ability to provide stable cash flows over long periods, which means listed infrastructure is less affected by economic cycles than other investments. Are there any other investment benefits? One of the investment benefits of infrastructure companies is that they can serve as a hedge against rising inflation. Over 90% of infrastructure assets in our universe have explicit or implicit mechanisms to pass inflation on to the end user. Regulated utility companies, for instance, are able to charge their customers and earn revenues over a predefined cost basis, which enables them to incorporate the impact of inflation in their cost structure. Because of these high inflation fighting characteristics, and as shown by this graph, listed infrastructure tends to outperform global equity markets during periods of higher inflation, irrespective of the direction that it takes, no matter if it's rising or falling. Historically, within this type of environment, we have seen infrastructure outperform the broader equity market by 7 to 9%. Are there any other reasons that make infrastructure even more interesting? There were two more reasons why listed infrastructure might be an attractive investment. The first one, attractive valuations. Listed infrastructure is attractively valued relative to equities and to fixed income. It also trades at a double-digit discount to the value of similar assets in, in global private markets. Second one, long-term secular tailwinds. Investors may benefit from listed infrastructure's critical role in the world's decarbonization initiatives the transformation of the digital economy and ongoing asset modernization requirements. That's interesting, Johannes. So now we've just discussed, uh, obviously, a solution in this uh, inflation scenario, uh, really interesting, uh, the infrastructure. If we move away from that, what else do we have? Indeed, Carlo, we have more equity solutions, which may play a crucial role in this kind of environment. Nordea's fundamental equities team is not only a boutique focused on responsible investments, they also look for high-quality companies with strong fundamentals next to sound ESG characteristics. This includes firms with a competitive advantage and strong pricing power, which will have the ability to pass through some of the inflationary costs to their customers, hereby protecting their bottom line against some of the inflationary pressures we may see in 2022. On top, the thematic funds of the boutique, linked to climate and social solution providers, due to their proprietary investment universe, are uniquely positioned to some trends that will continue to stay important in the future. Can you give us a, a concrete example? With energy prices soaring as a result of the Russian-Ukraine conflict, the European Union has expressed its will to being less dependent on imported fossil fuel or natural gas by further investing in renewable energies. This should drive renewed focus on companies providing climatic solutions while being more energy efficient in carrying out their economic activities and the producing of their goods and services. This will not only save them costs over the long term, but will also help them to decarbonize faster, where they are able to come up with innovative and sustainable ways to drive energy efficiency within their business models. This is a great example 
of their incorporating more sustainable business models and being more conscious about energy use is good for business. And we believe that the companies who get this right are the ones who will be the most robust and resilient to face future challenges. The pandemic and the Russian-Ukraine conflict have also demonstrated the absolute need to solve the social issues we are facing today. No matter if we talk about social inequality, access to health services or food security, all those are strategies the thematic team is investing in. So no matter if investors still focus on the environmental part of thematic investment or already start thinking about social investing, which is heavily needed to achieve the sustainable development goals set by the United Nations, Nordea has the expertise and the product offering to make your investment matter. Thanks, Johannes. So Christian, can you share with us what solutions could work in the stabilization scenario? I actually agree with Johannes that in this scenario, the mid-term opportunities are quite sizable, given the correction we have seen in markets and particularly in credit. From a fundamental perspective, we see a lot of value in corporate credit. They are cash rich and have high profit rates buffers. Moreover, default rates are at the historical lows with few signs of moving higher in this, let's say, less extreme scenario. As you can see in the graph we're showing, the current yield level offered by a synthetic European high yield bond with five years of interest rates and credit spread duration is, if we leave out the short COVID correction, at levels we have not seen since the global growth scare scenario of January 2016, back when the economy was growing at a much lower, lower rates than today, and downgrades were more common and default rates were also on the rise. Hence, this might be an attractive opportunity for some investors to lock in that yield. True, Christian, but if I may play devil's advocate here, we are still in the midst of a war in Europe and volatility will most likely still be an issue. That's a fair point, Carlo. And as Johannes also explained, we can certainly expect volatility will still be on the table. And this could impact both yields and spreads. That's why we believe flexibility will be once again, key to navigate this environment. While the temptation to go for buy and hold or even target date credit portfolios might be high, a more unconstrained approach that manages risks and can react to rapidly changing environments could be the way to go in fixed income if this scenario we end up facing. I knew you were going to try to sell your book, Christian. I just didn't think it was going to be this soon into our session. So without too, going too much into the details, what type of solutions are you thinking about? You know me, Carlo. I'm a multi-asset believer. Uh, and, you know, we have a broad range of flexible fixed income solutions that we think could meet investors' needs in this environment. Now, some of these are currently offering a very attractive value proposition for investors that, you know, might want to stay cautious, but also need to generate some yield. So if we compare with the synthetic European bond we spoke about before, one that offer a yield shy of 4% with you know, five years interest rate sensitivity and five year credit spread sensitivity with an average rating of you know, probably double B minus or probably even B plus, we're currently able to offer yield levels of around 3% with interest rate and credit spread sensitivity of four years and 2% respectively. And very importantly, an average credit rating of around double A. So almost three quarters of the expected return that synthetic bond was offering with less duration, around 80% of that duration, and also less than half of the credit risk. So a very, very attractive value proposition in this environment. That's certainly food for thought, Christian. Thank you very much for that uh, insightful analysis there. 
Now, if we transition now to the implications for the worsening scenario, what can you tell us, Christian? Well, relative to the scenario described before by Johannes, in this more acute environment, we would expect earnings to go further down, hitting valuations for both equities and credit. It is important to remind that while earnings revisions are around minus 9% year-to-date, they are not so far from the average uh, level they have at this stage of the year every year. On top of that, expected earnings growth for 2022 is still close to plus 10%. So these levels will probably change considerably if the conflict worsens. This will also take a toll on credit fundamentals and on risk appetite as a whole. So we could expect a more pronounced uh, market correction for both equities and credit with low-risk, high-quality assets outperforming the overall market. On the positive side, if there is a positive side to this, central banks will rapidly realize that a 180-degree change in policy is must and that more easing is needed. This implies that yields will most likely move down sharply from the levels they have reached today. And this will also imply that we will see a break in the current positive correlation pattern between risk assets and bonds. We don't think this will be enough uh, to solve the diversification problem most investors are having these days, as there's simply not too much room for yields to move down, but this will at least help a little bit. What solutions do you see in the worsening scenario? This is certainly a scenario where we think investors will be focusing on diversification. Credit and equities will most likely fall altogether. And as we were just saying, bonds will offer some protection, but certainly not enough to diversify investors' portfolios. So with few places to hide alternative risk premium strategies, such as those found in our liquid alternative portfolios or in our defensive multi-asset solutions like the Alpha MA or the stable return strategies, will become even more important tools to build truly balanced portfolios. I hear your question, uh, but we often get the, the, often this question from clients is, what, what exactly do you mean by alternative risk premium strategies? How do they look like in an investor's uh, portfolio? And how do you access them? Well, Carlo, that's not the easiest question to answer in such a short time as if we have around 20 investable risk premium strategies in some of these solutions. Nevertheless, just to give you a couple of examples, long-short strategies that give us exposure to the low-risk, high-quality, and attractive valuation characteristics of our stable low-risk equities will, in our view, do well in a recession-like type of scenario, as historically they have seen their fundamentals showing much higher level of resiliency from an earnings perspective. Their less cyclical business models allow them to capture a smaller portion of the market sell-off, and while they might also deliver a negative performance, they will tend to do better than the market, and hence could potentially offer a positive contribution, even if equity is correct. So in essence, what you're saying, Christian, is that you can diversify equity risk using equity strategies. That's interesting. Any other example outside of equities, maybe? Another example could be our FX quality and valuation strategies, where we select currencies within the highly liquid developed markets G10 universe and build per trades that can deliver some diversification during a recession. So in practical terms, they would tend to entail long positions in currencies that show safe haven characteristics, such as the US dollar or the Japanese yen, while going short others with more exposure to the global growth, like the euro or the Swedish krona. Importantly, they will integrate valuation and other discretionary parameters to size those positions accordingly and to avoid two sizable cluster risks, like, for example, having too short exposure to commodity-driven cyclical currencies like the Aussie dollar or the Kiwi dollar, 
or having maybe too much long exposure to a currency that might be overvalued. The reason why we do this is, of course, because we want to increase the convexity, the positive convexity of our alternative strategies, which means that you know, we want them to be as good diversified as they can be while uh, risky assets are selling off. But also, we want them not to cost us too much money when markets go up. And this is a feature that will also have a consequence in the overall convexity of our portfolios that historically, of course, not every day, not every week, not even every month, tend to capture a larger proportion of the market's uh, bulls, but also that tend to cost us uh, very little and tend to actually protect us fairly well, capture a much lower proportion of the market set of. That's, that's why we think these type of solutions could be of great interest in this market scenario. And Johannes, on the recessionary side, what can we look for in terms of fixed income? Here, traditionally, investors look for safe havens, assets which have the ability to add protection and help the overall portfolio mitigate drawdown risks. In fixed income, the safest part of the credit spectrum, namely government bonds from stable countries, tend to perform the best. However, investors still tend to ignore another asset class which meets the highest standards of safety, namely covered bonds. A covered bond is a debt instrument issued by a mortgage institution or a bank which is backed by a covered pool of assets. Covered bonds investors benefit from a dual protection. That's interesting, Johannes. Can you tell us a little bit more about this protection? The first recourse is a full claim on the issuer's asset, which means should the issuer become insolvent, covered bond investors have creditor rights on the assets. The second recourse is a preferential access to the cover pool. The cash flows of the cover pool and on a further level of its collateral back the covered bonds. These cash flows will be used to service the bonds in the event the issuer is insolvent, providing the timely payment of coupons and principal when the issuer can no longer afford them. Another layer of investor protection is added by covered bonds exemption from the EU bail-in mechanism. Under the Bank Recovery and Resolution Directive, short BRRD, a resolution authority is allowed to intervene and restructure a bank when one is considered in a close-to-failure situation. As covered bonds are excluded from absorbing any losses via bail-in, they cannot be written down in the process of an insolvency. As a result, covered bonds have not witnessed any default in more than 200 years of history, unlike, for example, government bonds, as we have seen during the Greek sovereign crisis. So, Johannes, is it really that straightforward and easy to invest in covered bonds? They seem pretty boring, if you will. You're right, Carlo. As pointed out before, covered bonds are very secure and highly regulated investments. Hence, many consider the asset class rather boring and turn to passive allocation or buy-and-hold strategies. Although investing in covered bonds looks rather straightforward at first sight, this is a huge trap. The covered bond market is inefficient in many ways. Hence, active management is a key requirement to access this market. Nordea not only offers the expertise of three decades of covered bond investing with tremendous success, we also offer different solutions tailor-made to the client needs and fitting well in a recessionary environment. Yes, it's really important that, that our, our viewers know, obviously, that our covered bonds come in more than one format in the solutions. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the, each of the solutions? Correct, Carlo. Indeed, it's not only one solution we are able to offer, but it's three of them. Starting with the European Covered Bond Strategy, with a duration of around five years and an impressive track record of a decade of alpha generation. Second, the low-duration European Covered Bond Strategy, investing with the same high-conviction mindset, but with a reduced duration of one year. 
And third, but not least, the European Covered Bond Opportunity Strategies, where duration is also lower to one year and the credit sensitivity and hence also the historical main source of alpha is slightly leveraged. But no matter if in a long duration format, a short duration format where interest rate sensitivity is minimized, or a short duration format where a small degree of leverage is applied to enhance expected returns, clients will benefit from an active approach with a strong history of alpha generation. Can you also take us through what it would look like in a recessionary environment, particularly the fixed income side? Sure, let's have a closer look at it. And on the fixed income side, it is a bit more complicated as on the multi-asset side that Christian explained before. We will probably face two phases, and those two can be monitored by the shape of the yield curve. A good proxy for a recession in history has been to monitor how close the yield curve is to inversion. Currently, we are still around 50 bips away from this inversion point, meaning we can still be exposed to rising rates on the short end of the curve. This, in combination with higher volatility caused by market uncertainty and geopolitical tensions, might lead to a continuation of the first months of 2022, where fixed income instruments have been under pressure. So let's have a closer look how during the first two and a half months in 2022, covered bonds performed in comparison to other fixed income classes. As can be seen on the graph, covered bonds not only proved to be resilient versus the more credit-sensitive asset classes like high-yield and corporate bonds, but they were also able to outperform government bonds slightly, showing the strength and stress time. Now, if you add active management compared with the highest amount of flexibility to this, see how this picture even turns positive. European covered bond opportunities, characterized by a low duration and a small leverage, as of 9th of March generated even a positive return number of 44 basis points. Moving then to the second phase where recession will kick in, most probably longer duration bonds will benefit from falling yields, meaning the longer duration covered bond strategy might be the most appropriate choice for investors. Investors just need to keep in mind that the ECB is pretty late in a cycle compared to other central banks. Hence, interest rates also have the lowest room to offer cushion. So it's even more important to highlight our range of different covered bond solutions from moderate to low duration, from non-leveraged to slightly leveraged solutions. All in all, no matter which one to choose, covered bonds historically have proven to be a great diversifier to clients' portfolios, providing less volatility with higher returns compared to safe government bonds and other fixed income instruments. And they might be an important building block in a recessionary environment. Thank you again, Johannes and Christian, for a very insightful session as always. So now let's take a look at what we discussed and what are the main takeaways from today's session. So let's look at scenarios going over the challenges, implications, and solutions. In scenario one, we have conflict stabilization. So what does this mean? For the challenges, it means oil and commodity prices continue to stay high on moderate growth scenario. Uh, we should look to reach peak inflation by H2 2023 and central banks maintain a stance but ease faster than, than currently signaled. Implications? Well, earnings stabilize and defaults rates stay low. Credit equities become attractive again, so focus on the green transition and inflation transition, uh, protection. And bond volatility comes down, but trading within range. The practical solutions where we see in the opportunities, we see real assets uh, and climate, as Johannes alluded to before, and flexible fixed income, as Christian described. In our worsening scenario, or conflict is worsening, we see recession kills demand, limiting 
oil and commodity prices. We see peak inflation uh, reached around H2 2022, so much sooner. And central banks reverse, of course, um, uh, reverse course and start easing again. For the implications, we see earnings go down, default rates going up, credit equities sell off, but low risk equities outperform, as Christian was alluding to as well before, and bonds rally on flight to quality effect. What are the solutions in this scenario? Well, diversification, liquid alternatives, defensive multi-assets, and finally, European covered bonds. So thank you again for joining us. As always, it's a pleasure to have you every month. And if you would like to access more information, you can do so at nordeaassetmanagement.com. Until then, thank you and see you next time.